we're continuing with the story of Joseph this morning. And when we last left Joseph, he had been promoted to prince of Egypt, given oversight to make sure that the seven years of plenty were stored up so that during the seven years of famine, the people would not starve. And we'll continue this morning with the next two chapters of his story. It's a lengthy passage of scripture, but well worth our listening. So here from the 42nd and 43rd chapters of the book of Genesis. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at one another? I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we might live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared that harm might come to him. <coughs> Thus, the sons of Israel were among the other people who came to buy grain, for the famine had reached the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces on the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers, and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph had recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Joseph also remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them. He said, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of this land. And they said, no, my Lord, your servants, we have come to buy food. We are sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. But he said to them, no, you have come to see the nakedness of this land. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of a certain man in the land of Canaan. The youngest, however, is now with our father, and one brother is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is just as I have said to you, you are spies. Here is how you shall be tested then. As Pharaoh lives, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here as well. Let one of you go and bring back this brother while the rest of you will remain in my prison in order that your words be tested whether there is truth in you or else as Pharaoh lives, surely you are spies. And then he put them all together in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here where you are imprisoned. The rest of you shall go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and then bring your youngest brother to me. Thus your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they agreed to do so. They said to one another, Alas, we are paying the penalty for what we did to our brother. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. And this is why this anguish has come upon us. Then Reuben answered his brothers, Did I not tell you not to wrong the boy? But you would not listen. And so here comes reckoning for his blood. They didn't know that Joseph understood them, since he spoke with them through an interpreter. He turned away from them and he wept. And then he returned and spoke to them. He picked out Simeon and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to the slaves to fill their bags with grain and to return every man's money to his sack 
to give them provisions for their journey. And this was done. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and they departed. And when one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw that there was money at the top of his sack. He turned to his brothers and said, my money has been put back. Here, here it is in my sack. And they all lost heart and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly to us. He charged us with spying in the land. But we said, No, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of this land, said, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine in your households and go on your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, and I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And then I will release your brother to you, and you may trade in this land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each one sack was his bag of money. When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were so dismayed. And their father Jacob said to them, I am the one you have bereaved of children. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and now you would take my Benjamin. All of this has happened to me. And Reuben said to his father, You may kill two of my sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone to his mother. If harm should come to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs down with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was very severe in the land. And when they had eaten up all the grain that they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, Go, go again and buy us some more food. But Judah said, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go and buy food. But if you don't send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and let us be on our way so that we might live and not die. You and we and also our little ones. I myself will be a surety for him. You can hold me accountable for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice by now. Then their father Israel said to them, Well, if it must be so, then do this. Take some choice fruits of our land in your bags. Carry them down as a present for this man, a little balm and honey, gum and resin, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back that money that was returned in the top of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and be on your way again to this man. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before him so that he might send back your brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them, as well as Benjamin, and they set off on their way down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Now when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, 
he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into my house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now they were very afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, Oh, this is because of the money replaced in our sacks the first time that we have brought in, so that he might have the opportunity to fall upon us, to make slaves of us, to take our donkeys. So they went to the steward of Joseph's house, and they spoke with him at the entrance, and they said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our bags, and there was each one's money at the top of our sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back with us. Moreover, we have brought down with us additional money to buy food. We do not know who put the money back in our sacks. The steward replied to them, Rest assured, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father must have put the treasure back in your sacks for you, for I received your payment. Then he brought Simeon out to them. When the steward had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and had their feet washed, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard he was to dine there. When Joseph came home, they brought him the presents that they had carried into the house, and they bowed low to the ground before him. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and did obeisance. Then he looked up and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother? of whom you spoke to me, God be gracious to you, my son. And with that, Joseph hurried out of the room because he was overcome with affection for his brother and he was about to weep. So he went into a private room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself and said, serve the meal. When they were all seated beside him, firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank, and they were merry with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our story this week, the chickens are coming home to roost for the brothers of Joseph. We know that this severe famine has struck more than just Egypt. It has reached out to Canaan. And these 11 remaining sons of Jacob, along with their wives and children and livestock, they're starving. And there's no food to be found anywhere except the great storehouses of Egypt. And so 10 of the brothers set off, leaving Benjamin, the youngest, with their father. Jacob refused to let him go, this last remaining son of his favorite wife, Rachel. He didn't want to lose him like his older brother, Joseph. So the brothers march off to Egypt, and they arrive, and they stand before Joseph, and they ask for food. But not a single one of the ten brothers recognizes Joseph as their own brother, the one that they had sold into slavery so many years ago. And Joseph decides to capitalize on this element of surprise, and he decides that he's going to test them. So he claims that they're spies. He takes Simeon hostage, and he refuses to release him until the brothers return with Benjamin, the youngest, the only full brother of Joseph. 
Joseph gives them enough grain to feed their families and sends them on their way with their money bags hidden on top. Now, the brothers are terrified. They know that if they head home and tell their father that they need to return with Benjamin, that their father will not agree. And then along the way, they discover that they have these money bags sitting right there, and they're absolutely horrified that they are going to be proclaimed to be thieves on top of spies. So the brothers return home to their father, and they do the only thing they can. They immediately press him. They say, you need to send Benjamin back with us. We need to go and rescue Simeon. We need to return these bags of money. Something terrible has happened. But Jacob, their father, refuses. He's lost Joseph, he has lost Simeon, and he just does not trust these boys to bring Benjamin back alive. It's easier for him to mourn two sons than it is for him to grieve a third. But time passes. Enough time, the Bible tells us, that they could have gone back and forth to Egypt twice. And soon enough, the grain is eaten and the family starts to starve. And Jacob, swayed by the prospect of losing not just his one son, but his entire family to starvation, he finally relents. He says, okay, take your brother Benjamin, and if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the brothers take Benjamin, they take the sacks of money that had been inadvertently returned, they take double the money so they can buy more grain, and they take gifts from their own land to give to this man, the overseer, the prince of Egypt, who they just don't even realize is their own brother sitting in front of them. But upon returning to Egypt, things work out better than they possibly could have hoped. The risk pays off. The money is somehow returned to them. The gifts are accepted. Simeon is released. Benjamin is safe, and they are invited to dine at the very table of this great overseer. Things seem to be moving in the right direction for these sons of Jacob. And this is a, sort of a wonderful story as it goes. Things start to be turning in the right direction for the whole family. This story, again, doesn't disappoint with its drama and its twists and turns and some of these great little details. I love the line. It's kind of buried in the middle of the, of the scripture that clearly Joseph has been speaking in Egyptian to the brothers and the brothers don't realize he speaks Hebrew. So he's sitting there listening to them speak Hebrew to each other, understanding every word of what they're saying about him. I mean, that's like a pretty classic movie gaffe, right? Like the person doesn't know. Everyone else understands every word that's being saying. It's just such a delightful little detail of this scene. I love this story. But the protagonist, the namesake of our tale, I actually think that Joseph, as much as he doesn't play the leading role here, I think he's the most interesting character in this story. Because after having been sold into slavery by his brothers, left to die in Egypt, separated from his family, thrown into jail for years on end for a crime he didn't commit, I've always sort of assumed that in this part, Joseph finally gets his chance to punish his brothers for the evil that they've done to them. I've assumed that in this part he's acting out of malice or revenge. He speaks harshly to them. He throws them into prison. He keeps Simeon there as his hostage. And even upon sending them back, he sort of includes these money bags without any explanation to them, which we know made the brothers incredibly nervous it made them think that they were going to be accused of stealing on top of spying. Joseph, in this scene, hides all of his own emotions. He speaks in a different language. 
He knows that his brothers have no chance of recognizing him. And at first blush, it's really easy to think that he's doing this out of anger or retribution, mistreating his brothers, giving them sort of a taste of their own medicine. And that's how I've always read this story. I've assumed that this is about payback. But when I went to read this this week and think about it a bit more, I was sort of struck by the fact that actually when you read it, Joseph is never painted as truly angry. Anger is never actually his core motivation here. He's described on several occasions as overcome with emotion. But the picture we have of him is him turning his face away or actually running out to a separate room so that he can weep. Not necessarily out of anger, but out of some sort of well that is coming up within him. And I think it's wrong for me and for any of us to assume that what he's doing is out of anger or revenge. Instead, I almost wonder if what Joseph is doing this in this story is setting his brothers up for a test of their loyalty. It seems to me that maybe he's trying to see if they're still those same old brothers from years before who are so callous as to sell him into slavery, or if they've had a change of heart, if they've learned to be good family in the intervening years. And he sets them up so they really don't have any easy choices. I mean, he has Simeon back in prison in Egypt, and I'm certain that Joseph would know that there's no way Jacob would easily let Benjamin, his last son of his favorite wife, go. Plus those bags of money he included, they sort of complicate everything in this story. The brothers here definitely look like thieves. But again, it's sort of nice to have the money. And this is way more money than the 20 pieces of silver that they sold their brother for many years prior. So I wonder if he's sitting there thinking to himself, if these 10 brothers get home, or nine I suppose at this point, if these nine brothers get back to Canaan and discover that they have grain to feed their families and all of these bags of money left behind, Will they leave Simeon here to rot in prison, effectively selling yet another brother for the money that's left to them? There's certainly far more money on the table here than there was previously. Or maybe the brothers would return. Maybe they would bring Benjamin, but maybe they would just forget to mention these bags of money. Maybe they would hope it was an oversight and they could make a little on the side. Or as we know actually happens, perhaps these brothers would take the real risk to return with Benjamin and with the money in hand, repaying their debt in more ways than one. Now it takes more time than it's expected. We know from scripture it takes the amount that they could have gone to and from Egypt at least twice, but the pressure of famine for Jacob allows him to finally relent. He releases Benjamin, the brothers return as honorably as possible, money to return, brother in tow, gifts to offer. And I think that in this action of the brothers, Joseph learns something really important about them, that these men have indeed had a change of heart. They're now brothers who understand what it means to be a family together, to care for one another. They don't leave Simeon behind for a few extra bags of silver. They promise their own lives to their father in return for the safety of their youngest brother. They really risk everything, returning to Egypt in order to get food for their families and to rescue their brother in prison. We get this image that these are men who have grown up, that they started to care about the family that God had given them. 
And I think this is one of the great lessons we can cull from the story of Joseph and his brothers, this idea that people can actually change, that it is possible for people to learn from their previous mistakes and change course rather dramatically throughout their lives. Here we see brothers who once callously sold their sibling into slavery out of jealousy and anger for a mere 20 pieces of silver. I mean, it's nothing. But in this story, we see that now they take great risk, risk to their own lives in order to save one of their own, to get food for their family, to become honorable people. In a sense, I think they've learned what it means to be your brother's keeper. Now, I don't think that this change in them was all about their own internal grit and drive here, although it would be wrong to say that the brothers didn't participate in their own transformation. But throughout the story of Joseph, the unspoken character constantly lurking there in the background is God. God's hands sort of sneak around the edges of this story in unexpected ways. They clear the path for Joseph. They give insight to the dreams of others. God continually seems to bless the work of Joseph, no matter where he finds himself, as a slave, in a house, in an Egyptian prison, in the court of Pharaoh. God is sort of always present, playing this significant role, working good things out of the tremendous evil that is happening. And so I don't think that it would be overstating anything here to say that God is active in the change of heart that these brothers have. And it sort of reminds me in its own way of um, the classic 12-step program that people sometimes go to, whether for alcohol or narcotics or any other sort of addiction, there's this idea that in a 12-step program, an individual needs to rely on themselves to a certain degree. You need to make amends. You need to apologize. You need to change the way that you live and interact with the world around you in order to overcome your addiction. But in order for that change to be permanent and more sustainable in your life, 12-step programs actually ask that you do look for a higher power that is going to motivate and feed that change in yourself. It might be God, it might be nature, it might be something. Something outside yourself has to motivate that level of change. And I think these brothers are sort of going through their own recovery program of sorts. They repent of their anger and jealousy and mean-spiritedness, this hatred that they had in their youth. And instead, they seem to be turning into people who legitimately care for one another. Part of that would certainly come from themselves, from their own life experience and their desire to change. But I think the writer of Genesis would agree with the idea that this change wouldn't be possible without significant involvement from a compassionate and merciful God who's sort of prodding and pushing these brothers into something more. Um, next week, we will wrap up as best we can the story of Joseph, or at least this chapter of it. The story of Joseph stretches on many more chapters, and there's tons of twists and turns and unexpected things still to happen. But for this week, I think we are being invited by this story to sit with these brothers who have had a change of heart. I think perhaps we're invited to think about those in our own lives, or even ourselves, at moments when other people close to us, or we ourselves have experienced a significant change of heart, a shift in our personality at a really fundamental level. Perhaps this story of Joseph will give us the example we need to sort of live into like a trust but verify way of living together, moving toward forgiveness in such a way that we're cautious, but we're optimistic. And it's not an easy or simple thing for us to do. 
Sometimes it's going to take twice as long to get back to Egypt than you originally expected it to. But I think that it's important that we keep this story in mind and we remember that we still serve a God who is out there just lurking behind the scenes, making honest changes of heart possible. That the core of this story, the core of our experience as Christians, the gospel that we proclaim, is that we claim to be a people who believe in both resurrection and redemption. And that this is a story of that redemption taking place and an invitation for us to look for that in our own lives. So thanks be to God. Thank mm-hmm. you.